0: Speed 2 doesn't count. It's funny. Think about it. In honor of Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, what's your favorite Tom Cruise movie?
1: I'm Katie Rich, and Jerry Maguire has a special place in my heart that gets renewed every time I'm in the car and I can't figure out what I want to sing along to, and then I sing along to Free Fallen! I feel like (laughs) Jerry Maguire in that moment.
2: I am Matt Patches, and one of my favorite movies of all time is Groundhog Day, so one of my favorite Tom Cruise movies of all time is Edge of Tomorrow. (laughs)
0: Uh (laughs) okay hey i'm david07 and with apologies to the vampire Lestat, it might actually be the color of money
3: Uh, i am david Ehrlich. i don't think the vampire Lestat is a particularly forgiving guy Oh, that's Dave, true. So, watch your yeah, back. Yeah, why?
0: Oh uh, no, how about that? They, they're but, gonna make me a vampire, how horrible. It <laughs> wouldn't actually make my style better or anything.
3: <laughs> um, you are standing next to a completely like light-blown-out window, so I would worry about your safety. Um, um, and you're next to a wall of Spider-Man and Star Wars memorabilia that, I don't know, maybe would be left to patches in the event of your death. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'll go with Eyes Wide Shut. Dun 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 dun. You know,
0: all that. Uh, ooh, werewolves of London. All right, now sing something from *Edge of Tomorrow*. Patches,
2: I'm like, what is going on? I'm, uh, yeah. I, I can't. Ugh, I'm defeated.
0: Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain, and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh?
1: Good. Then, well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine.
0: Good. Well,
1: it's good that you're fine, then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. Uh, It's It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 436. It is the week of Wednesday, July 12th. That is the day that in 1804, a guy named Alexander Hamilton died after being shot in a duel by a guy named Aaron Burr. And to think, we used to have this as a fun fact from a David Fincher directed commercial, right? Uh huh. The Got
0: Milk commercial? I think it's Michael and Bay. Michael th- Bay did the it was Michael oh, Bay, right? Okay. The yeah. trivia, radio trivia. Yeah. Did I did I know. Oh my! Not of a uh, peanut butter. Yeah, there but yeah. yeah. was a commercial was a whole musical. Michael
3: Bay's style. Uh,
1: I did hear Classic about that. Classic Michael Bay work. <laughs> um, I'm back after some time away. We're all back. I guess we were all off last week. Um, so welcome to July. Um, and I hear that we have some reviews to welcome us back.
3: I mean I see on the iTunes here we have one review, but that's not enough for me to or to stop me rather from telling you all that I reached infinite rank today. Thank you. Thank oh. you. Hold your applause until after the That's
2: not the after first the time episode. Is
3: it? Uh no, it's the second time, but who's counting? Um anyway, shout out to that <laughs> new location that really made it easy for Kitty Bounce to sweep up those last ten <laughs> ranks. Um Love It says Bird K92. A long time ago, I wrote a still positive review saying that everyone gangs up on David too much. I'm dot, dot, dot. Not sure I believe that anymore. Still love everyone equally. <laughs> Are they implying that everyone gangs up on they me less? Th- yeah, I, think, I think they're implying you
1: me. should be bullied.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I was really deluding myself to hope for the former. Um, yeah. Bullying tends to be a good corrective for people's behavior mm-hmm. historically. Never, nationally, it's, it's culturally. That's bad. really the moment we're in right now. Um, so let's see how that goes. Thank you, burke 92 for chiming in. Uh, do we have more reviews, or is it just the one?
0: Uh, we have two emails.
1: Ah, uh, two uh, emails. That's, that's where I was misinformed. Got it.
0: This first one uh, is titled, uh, love you all, especially Katie, but got a question for David. Hey, Fitware team, tried to leave a review, but Apple is being weird, maybe taking a note from Twitter. Ha ha. Been listening for two years. After hearing you on Blank Check, I'm a cliche, and love you guys. I do have a question for David. I've heard a lot of mentions of Summer House, but not a ton of segments on what has to be the most important show on television. I could ask the basics like, are you Team Lindsay or Team Amanda? What app is Maya developing? Why is Gabby on the show? Etc. But I want to hear, on air, David answer my two points. First, I think the show is actually wild strawberries about kyle cook realizing he's a 40 year old terrible person and second second that chris is the least compelling person i've ever seen on television like george hw bush has been on my television jesus the man is a loaf of bread all right so that's two (laughs) accents this probably won't get on air (laughs) but i didn't think marvel snap would either anyway love all of you thanks chris wow unfortunately
1: everything does get on air a lot of synergy
3: going on here um yeah, is this, this Summer is House?
1: A, is this a question yeah, yeah. about Summer House? Yes,
3: it is. Uh, thank you okay. for this review, Katie. Shish. Uh, important <laughs> subjects are being discussed right now. Um, th- yes, your commentator Chris Bully spot David, on. Oh. I will say that he is uh, you know, he fills out a tank top a lot better than George W.H. Bush or W. Bush any of the Bushes probably ever have and that may justify spirits of television but God, that guy. I mean, it's become like a, a latent joke that he is uh, has no game and is in search of a storyline. I don't think he's ever going to find one uh, I would be surprised if he's invited back for a third season, but you never know. I do want to say that seventy-two hours ago, at the time of recording this, I tried for the first time in my life Loverboy, Kyle Cook's drink, his business, uh, and it was vile. I mean, I thought it was it was like unmemorably vile. Uh, I had what, higher hopes for it. It's what is the, it supposed it's like to taste a, like? A hard seltzer. Okay, and I have to like no. I'm not a, I'm not a seltzer guy. Um, so, I'm probably not the target audience for oh, it. I'm a much nice. bigger fan of Kyle Cook than I am of his seltzer. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, and just to answer the first, the first question I was thrown out there, um, I am whatever the opposite of Team Lindsay is. Although Danielle was really on a trip this season making everything about her. Um, Lindsay drives me up a fucking wall. Uh, kind of like Team Amanda, even Team Paige, who's, you know, whatever. I like looking at her. Um, it's very pretty. The uh, yeah, and also Summer House, Martha's Vineyard ruled. I watched that this season; it was great. Um, all in on Summer House. You can do a Summer House off, fighting in the war room podcast, fighting in the Summer House.
1: Well, they send us to a Summer House?
3: I mean, Summer House itself was originally a spinoff of, or not a spinoff of Vanderpump Rules, but it was like
1: it's like a Bra- it's like all Bravo people, isn't it?
3: It had no, it, it w- they were all original, like they were, had not been on Bravo before, and it's not like they're feeding off other shows. But oh, the pilot that. was a backdoor pilot from an episode of Vanderpump Rules where Stasi. Is this a punishment segment came? for no reviews? <laughs> what is going on? Um, I can also, the I can also talk endlessly, probably We've even done. greater length, about the various below decks, You've which I mentioned on the bad. show have saved my life before. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, anyone wants to talk to me about Summerhouse, House, you know what to notify me at <laughs> Summerhouse. About how, 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 <laughs> how funny it would be to have the cast of summer house there and then like i show up this like schlubby 38 year old hairy father of two film critic jew um it would just i think be a really hilarious contrast to uh the rest of the cast and maybe hilarious enough that bravo should seriously consider it I don't know, I'll take $10,000 an episode just to fucking get drunk on Loverboy. I'll drink the Loverboy. I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me who's dick you want me to suck, you know? <laughs> which is, I uh, a, you went all the way there after I'll drink the Loverboy, which wasn't enough. <laughs> what's, the, what's the MacGruber? Yeah, I mean, if MacGruber could have said i Tell me what Lover you Boy, want me to fuck. People. No, tell me. That's what I meant to say, right? Like, tell me who you want me to fuck. Um, yeah. I have a thought on um, Kyle,
1: which is that yeah. he was on The Traitors and also sure made no impression whatsoever.
3: That's yeah, all. but... He only made an impression for me on the Traders because his persona there was such market. It was it stood in such market contrast from his persona on oh, really? Summer House. It was like, you know, he's the party boy. He's the summer should be fun, you know, always wearing a mullet. He does kind of have a mullet in the Traders, but like really going full mullet on Summer House. And he was very sort of reserved and calculating on uh, the Traders, which I found yeah change of pace. Um, but okay, the Traders we're cutting you is there reality shows. Summer House.
0: This next email is right. called The Road to Wellville. <laughs> Catching still there, huh? <laughs> it's still there. <laughs> Catching up on a month or so's worth of episodes and with all the Road to Wellville talk, I felt compared to shell this, share this story. I'm a high school choir teacher. Six years ago when I started my current job, the band teacher at my school told me his favorite movie was The Road to Wellville, insisting I watch it. At the time, it was not streaming anywhere for any price, and the only physical prop- copies I could find were out of print, used DVDs, on Amazon for $50 plus. At oh the same time, my coworker had also just invested in his first Blu-ray player and was looking for recommendations. I sent him a list of movies I thought he might find interesting that I owned on Blu-ray and would be able to let him borrow. He showed trailers for five of those recs to one of his classes, and the students voted on which he should watch, eventually choosing Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. I let him borrow my copy. He never watched it and waited nearly five years to return it. <laughs> However, in the summer of 2020, when all of us were making weird online purchases because what the hell else were we going to do, I ponied up and paid $50 for a used DVD of the, to, of the Road to Wellville. Oh my god. Once I watched it, I was taken aback by just how much It and The Master had in common, right down to the camera taking on a character's POV and imagining women with their clothes off. I don't know why <laughs> this coworker and I both tried to get each other to watch these two spiritually linked movies, each of us not having seen the other to have any awareness of their parallels, but this coincidence did cause me to reconsider all of my professional relationships going forward. What I'm most bothered about by here is that you all got to watch it on Pluto and or Peacock, and now I have an overpriced DVD for a movie I didn't particularly care for, living on my (laughs) shelves right next to Decision to Leave. I'd like to just (laughs) gift it to my coworker, but I'm still a little miffed that he's never bothered to watch The Master. Love the podcast, Taylor.
1: I have a question about this coworker. He was so dead. Loved this movie. So it was his favorite movie. He didn't own a copy to lend at any point in this. That's what that's I would have would my my every first movie question. you love? No, a question of the road to Wellville. He's like, hey, you got to watch this. Like, he doesn't have a copy he can lend.
0: I guess it's a little suspicious. Side mm. eye to the band teacher. That's, he was just that's trying, to,
1: uh, trying to hoodwink his colleague <laughs> into spending too much money on the road to Wellville
0: you could be part of this segment and apparently let david loose if you leave us a review on itunes and uh, if you're in the american itunes store we'll read it out loud on the show if you are not in the americas please still leave a review on your apple podcast <laughs> app and send us the text to fitwr.podcast at gmail.com or just any other thoughts there if you have road to wellville stories why not we've gone down this rabbit hole pretty far maybe it goes deeper let's get on with the show
3: HiJack. Um, <laughs> we have a H- fifth guest. Hot Jack. Slash Jack. Uh, this summer's smooth brain sh- the smooth brain show of the summer. That's the phrase I was looking for. Uh, is HiJack. Uh, on Apple TV Plus. It is the uh, Apple TV Plus miniseries equivalent of a beach read. An airport novel in miniseries form if you will. Although set in an air. Plane. It stars Idris Elba as uh, a guy on a flight home from Dubai to London uh, who is on a plane by Kingdom Airlines that gets hijacked. Uh, But what you guys may not see coming is that Idris Elba is playing not just a uh, deeply divorced man who is struggling with that uh, and sort of roiling with his divorce in first class, but also... The world's best corporate negotiator. But what's really interesting about that is that he, whose only stake in this is to get home safely to the woman he is no longer married to, and the son who is uh, quickly, you know, falling under the thrall of his mom's new partner, is that he. So he decides at the end of the first episode that he is going to essentially help the hijackers because he decides that that is going to be the most effective way to get this plane safely on the ground and uh, get back to his personal Mishigas. Uh, the show is, you know, it's, it's, it's good, dumb. It's, uh, it is not high art, but it is very effectively well told. Idris Elba is so good in this kind of archetype. as this like sort of glowering, serious presence who takes over and you can tell that he's stoic and noble, but he also has a, you know, his, his methods are unorthodox and you never quite know what he's going to do next. Um, all is it like the a supporting...
1: taken kind of glowering the I mean, kind of thing?
3: No, it's more interesting than that. It's more, it's a little bit more nuanced than that because his mission is, is simply, you know, he really just wants to get off this plane alive Um, And he doesn't have that sort of like righteous anger that I think is kind of flattening in a movie like Taken. It's really him just sort of sussing out the situation every few minutes and trying to figure out um, how best to navigate it. And um, his relationship with the hijackers is kind of fraught uh, as they are constantly reassessing to what degree he can help them and how useful he is and how violent to be with him. Um, and he has beef with some of the other passengers, but is also working together with the pilot. Uh, and there is great Archie Panjabi is, meanwhile, in London as a uh, member of SO15, which is definitely something I know what it is and not something I'm just reading off the Wikipedia page right now. You dropped that it's, very knowledgeably. Yeah, thank you. I, like, it felt fake. I had to own up to that. Um, but the <laughs> SO15 on the Wikipedia page is blue, so I'm assuming it's a real thing and not just something that I was invented like... Uh, MI5, not the MI5 in reality, but the, uh, the, the, not the MI5. What's it called in Mission Impossible? The
1: IMF. IMF. IMF,
3: thank you. IMF, that's the one with the real one and also the Tom Cruise one. Um, and, uh, there are Neil Maskell from Matt Patches' favorite movie, Kill List, plays the lead hijacker. Uh, and there, it's all very, very well done. There's a lot of great business about air traffic controllers And like the very, very slight signaling that a pilot might do in this kind of situation to indicate to people on the ground with whom they have no other uninterrupted, uh, uncompromised channels of communication. What's going on in the airplane and like the best parts of the show or in the early going are sort of the people on the ground trying to figure out what exactly is going on with this flight. Um, And then towards the end, I mean, there are a lot of interesting twists that I think give at least the impression of thematic depth to this sort of crackerjack uh (laughs) suspense story um a lot of business about how we are all sort of hostage to the people who we care about in this world um and it really sounds
0: like we jumped right to mission impossible dead reckoning already yeah i mean it's all it's a lot a
3: lot of fun it's a great show to I mean, I I was looking forward to watching it on a week to week basis over the next few weeks of summer as it wraps up, and then I realized after three episodes that I had access to all of them on the Apple TV Plus screener site. Uh, I know this is my media privilege showing, but I could not resist the temptation to just plow right through them all, and it also made a great binge. Um, but it is you know it, it is a, a really strong diverting watch made with Apple TV level production values, and Idris is. Uh, ironically in a small screen project, really proving why he has the capability to be such a great movie star. Um, I wish he would find more movies that also displayed that capability, but he's wonderful here. Um, I, yeah, good show. Highly recommended for some like good, dumb summer fun. This would be so out of sorts if it premiered in, in yeah. the winter, what, are, the what else do you but think right is now, the, uh,
2: what else do you think is in smooth brain TV genre?
3: Or anything you Well, would really I did get a long rant about summer Denver. house earlier in this episode. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but I, didn't, I, didn't, uh, I was th- wondering if, there, uh,
2: if you would compare the two. But
3: yeah, <laughs> this is this is scripted, and so it's and it's also like I tend not to because I I have so much love in my life and room for reality TV. I tend not to watch you know dumb scripted television, right? Um, and and this is really a really fun exception to that rule for me because it's it's smartly done in it's in its dumbness. I mean, it's dumb, but never stupid. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't take itself too seriously. But uh, and it does have a really great sort of like popcorn blockbuster vibe, especially towards the end. Uh, it, it could be, you know, in another era in the 90s, this would have been a really fun two hour thriller that would have opened at like number three at the box office and everyone would have. To profit, it would have been fine. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's it, I it, it it's just like it feels a lot more confident than you would get from like a network TV retelling or, or version of the story. Um, and I felt that confidence from the start. And then re watching the pilot, pun intended, with my uh wife who was not a huge fan, this is not her feel necessarily, despite how much she loves British. Shit. Um, I was able to appreciate the second time through all the little nested. Clues and whatnot that are in there, all the little details of the story that don't sort of germinate until later. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's smooth brain done right. Matt
0: Pages, uh, bring us into yeah. this com this conversation that you were saying wasn't going to be a monologue. Oh
2: well, too late. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm fascinated, David, that this kind of airport novel cliffhangery thriller show sucked you in and you wanted to binge it you wanted to just watch it all all the way through couldn't help I, myself i i feel like there's a lot of discourse right now about the other big summer show uh the bear season two um and which hulu kind of unceremoniously dropped all at once mm. onto hulu i don't know I about mean,
1: unceremoniously okay. like there's plenty of hype leading up to it was that? Is this I what mean, they it did was, for it was the Tardis. first season it, Yes, it was I think, also a total,
2: it, it, Was it also a binge drop? Yeah, it was okay. also a binge The Well, I, I say it's unceremonious, Katie, because in true... I mean, it's a, it was like awards bomb. It was I think yeah. it dropped all at once right before Emmys in order to, like, hey, remember the Bayer season one? You're actually nominating season one, but watch all of <laughs> season two right before you, you vote. Um, and so much television is happening right before the Emmys deadline. Uh, so the unceremonious part is maybe not the amount of marketing and hype and billboards and whatnot but just like the sheer amount of television that's being stuffed into one uh week or two right before the emmys but
1: well so it's uh, it's, people were kind uh, of up in arms uh, over the not to be a pedant about it but okay so like everything to qualify for the emmys had to premiere before the end of may um, but the Bear season two comes out June twenty second. So there's a couple weeks. It's just the idol that's been on, and the Bear like it kind of felt like it had that period of June to itself because it was season two, and it was the first season that was actually. But it wasn't. It early.
2: wasn't. Sorry, you're right. There is like a hustle of new shows that premiere in May before the actual deadline. Yeah, I think the Bear got dropped in a way that's reminding people of season one. You know, yeah, I mean, like, it's season... a campaign for itself. <laughs>
1: I feel but like the joy the season for season won. one, the joy of season one, is it showed up all at once, and like people slowly were like, "Oh wait, this is good." And so then, when a second season comes, there's going to be anticipation around it that just didn't exist for the first season. Like it's gonna, you it's gonna right. come with different well, set okay. of expectations. The, everyone
2: was excited for the Bear season two. Katie's right. Yes, they were. And Katie <laughs> watched the Bear season two. Did you watch it all I, at once? No, or you I, I'm it? I'm only or like halfway are, through.
1: So I don't know why people
2: are so frustrated that they put it all out. People can watch it whatever they they want. So here's What's what, happened what happened with Yeah, me? but. Why did I we miss it? We the-
3: wouldn't streaming streaming wouldn't exist if people weren't sort of in the thrall of their own uh, convenience and, and and were able to stop themselves. Um, you know, we are like dogs licking up chocolate when this shit comes out. We like, it's just me watching hijack. I mean, if it's available to you, you're on all uh, fours you in can't. your living room just lapping. Ah, that's on how hijack. I honestly, Patches, <laughs> that's how I watch all television. But uh it's it's uh yeah, I mean it's it's frustrating because I you know, I don't want that option. I, I know that I'm powerless to resist it and I want them to, you know, slowly let it trickle out over the course of, in the bear's case, 10 weeks so that I can really savor each drop. Um, and I think a lot of the frustration comes from the fact the show, like the bear, unlike hijack is very dense and has wild tonal shifts you know, from episode to episode, structurally, formally, it's doing different things. Um, there's a lot to process, even about like who the characters are at the most basic levels. In the case of the the uh, Christmas dinner episode, um, and I, I think yeah, and people when people like something, they want it to remain in zeitgeist for longer than just the case becoming the bear, the one thing that people talk about for three days and then disappearing.
2: I, I, I and I want Katie to chime in here because I think you've watched more than I have, Katie. Well, I want to hear Dave. The bear is <laughs> extremely anxiety inducing maybe I got a headache watching season one. Season two, not as much. Like, it feels more of a sitcom. I feel like they, Christopher Storr, who created the show, set out to make, like, a taxi or a Mary Tyler Moore workplace-type old-fashioned actual sitcom. And this season two, it's really kind of blossomed into that. And it's a little mm-hmm. less headache-inducing. But then the first episode, of course, has an entire scene where, like, an alarm is going off while they're trying oh to have God. a conversation. That scene and I, But it it that prevents you from binging it i could not watch more than one episode of the bear in a row in, at a time like it's good that they drop in this case a it's coward? a good show for the I am, a coward. I am i am weak i can't my brain is so tender but uh, I Nate, would, katie what do you think
1: i would disagree that it's becoming more of a workplace sitcom because of some of the structural changes that come in after the first three episodes which are the ones i had only seen for a while but i want to hear dave and what happened to him
0: Oh, I skipped uh, The Bear first season entirely, being like, I will catch up to it. And then when The Bear season two came out, I just did season one one day, woke up and did season two the next day. Ooh, that and it sounds was fucking stressful. Fan- oh, It was fantastic.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah, again, we okay? get it.
3: You don't have children. <laughs> Leave me alone.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but there's also something like uh, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, which is doing weekly and is not necessarily heavily serialized and I feel like that's the type of show that I'm missing. Like, there's some sort of charm to being able to do uh, intense binges, but it's more like we don't have uh, anthology shows week to week that drive interest to show up just for the show. It feels like if something's week to week, it's sort of more likely to be trying a cliffhanger-type attitude. Even something like Beef had like a cliffhanger mentality sort of with how it ended episodes so that all
1: dropped it once
0: and and, it all dropped it once so i think it's the 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 week to week is great in terms of having that creep you have a longer time to maybe find your audience but if you do a binge mode right uh the memes will lead people back to the main thing like i think the new the new i think you should leave season uh is still is still generating people to watch it because not only is there now an Emmy nomination, but the memes from this season are great. You got to yeah, know what Sharp Brothers are.
3: That's a meme driven show. I mean, they like more or less exist to produce memes. The episodes around it are kind of shells. But I, I, that was a, a real case for me where, you know, I blew through that is a show you can blow through, even with a kid, the entire season in like spanning like two hours, um, which I did. And it deeply diminished, I think, the enjoyment that I was able to take from it because you go numb after 30 minutes or so. And again, I don't have the self discipline to, to parcel that out. And so by the third episode of, I think you should leave. I was just sort of staring blankly at the television. Um, And it's a shame. Uh, I get why the binge model works for that show better than it might for a scripted drama. But uh, I generally think the binge model is very, very stupid and seems to be going. I mean, like this conversation <laughs> I mean, Netflix feels,
2: seems to think it's well, it's no, but Netflix time has for the become the they yeah. become
3: the outlier. I mean, it's like it's, no, but even they're know, breaking
2: up the seasons. Almost every yeah. I mean, yeah. a part I mean, one part, even two, their
3: yeah. reality, even the reality TV junk. I mean, they have the best dating shows around and even Love is Blind is parceled out over three weeks. The ultimatum over four weeks to you out the. Uh Reunions, I mean, yeah, they are the uh, people who were leading the binge charge, and even they are retreating from it. And that seems to be the way this is all going. I mean, there will always be shows that are that are binged. But although the real impact on this will be, of course, whatever happens with the uh, various strikes, because you know, there's so much of the talk about is about AI, but really what's at play here and the real deciding factor is about the networks revealing or the streamers revealing their data, because that is how they're going to determine the size of residuals to pay. And that's what they are protecting so closely. Um, And once the data is forced to be made public, which hopefully it will have to be, for these strikes to be resolved in the writer's favor, which hopefully, God willing, will happen, um, they may determine that uh, they can goose the numbers better with binge-watching or with parceling it out. I mean, that, I think, will just be a new sort of matrix of concerns when that happens. Um, But the big bottle's stupid nobody likes it.
1: Are those numbers going to go public, or will they just be available to, like, people's agents? I haven't been, like, I guess none of this is happening. Yet. Oh, I mean, your you agents know, the are the not going to be keeping secrets.
0: If they get out, they'll, That's true. they'll get out. That's true. Yeah. Especially if they're bad, because, you know, who wants to laugh at Netflix? Fucking everybody. Hey, but, it's like, everybody. I, was,
3: I was saying earlier today on Twitter, that, like, you know, those, those press releases that they put out, touting how many view hours Red Notice got, or whatever, are going to take on such a conflicted tone, because the next time they brag about, you know, how... Season six of Stranger Things was watched by nine trillion people all at the same time. They are going to have to pay for that you know, directly. It's going mm-hmm. to directly contribute to how much they pay. So uh, they they may find other metrics for judging the success of the show. They may suddenly start saying, oh, well, hold on. Actually, only a fraction of the audience finished the show. So was it really watched? I don't know.
1: It's going to be Hollywood um, math. Like when they say the Harry no. Potter movies didn't make any money and they, they don't have to pay anybody. Exactly. <laughs> But at least they'll have actual numbers to look at
3: at least tv
0: and better tv than talking about secret invasion two weeks ago i'm sorry katie i cut you off
1: uh i was gonna like I- i'm still really sick on you binge watching the bear because i find it stressful like i watched part of the <laughs> christmas episode last night and then i was like i gotta go to bed i can't get through all of this it was too much um do you still prefer to be- watch something that way even if it's that emotionally
0: intense I mean, yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, with the Christmas episode and then Forks, which comes right after it, uh, both those episodes, I was like, at the end of the episode, I'm like, I just watched something I really enjoyed. I want more. And it's basically the same thing that, I mean, maybe a slightly more wrinkled brain version of what David did with Hijack, but mm-hmm. it's like the quality is good enough, I'll watch it. If at any yeah. point I was getting tired of the bear, or if it stressed me out beyond what I thought was just you know like you know my palm the stress, sweat the is stress you sign up. up for yeah yeah exactly uh, it's part of the thing it was when people I was, I, yeah. people today were like uh, why did the, why is the bear in like the comedy category and it's like outside of a whole bunch of weird half hour versus full hour Hollywood bullshit sure um, like some of my favorite comedies make you really stressed or make you really sad like yes but like when, yeah, but Richie, like when Richie's tapping the ceiling it falls on top of his head. Yeah,
3: go ahead. I feel like I had to binge watch the bear. There was like the cultural pressure around it, people starting to spoil it left and right, um, talking, you know, and not about episodes at the, the end of the season that I hadn't seen, and it was available to me, and I feel like I had to watch it, and I was just exhausted. And I don't think it helps that the worst episode of both seasons of The Bear, but certainly the second season is the last one. Um, and it ends, I think, on a on a moment that is well beneath the quality of the show. And I was just sort of angry at the experience when it was over, even though it's a very, very, very good season of television and a big improvement over the first one. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not a fan of this model. But Well, we'll put it down
0: uh, with some of the other movies from this year that uh, a listener wrote in and was like, why don't you guys have episodes where you circle back on stuff? Maybe we circle back on the bear some week. Sure. Uh, because I would love to hear What but Katie thinks About the end of the season oh, okay.
1: I, I mean I haven't seen The we, whole thing yet
0: We've done like Four weeks on the road To Wellville <laughs> Shut up
1: <Okay. laughs> I mean In theory we're talking About past lives next week It's been out for a month In some places So you know Circling back I think is good only It serves the us elites. It serves our listeners Yeah exactly no, We're not for the elites We're not the elites. for the
2: elites I'm rolling through
1: Ladera
2: and a beam looking clean And drinking on the blueberry Slurpee Eating that fajita I'm passing uh well
1: speaking of circling back to things i saw elemental uh almost a month into its theatrical release and we were not the only people in the theater i'm happy to say on a wednesday afternoon so legs. elemental legs for elemental.
0: <laughs> hashtag legs for elemental still
1: finding its people um I think it is a fine <coughs> movie. I might like Strange World better, um, which I don't think is a very popular take, and that's not really what I came here to talk about.
2: Uh, <laughs>
3: Has Strange World mean, come out yet?
1: Uh, Strange <laughs> World on Disney+. Plus. If your kids get into it, they'll get into it. It's goopy. Was- it's
2: a goopy movie. It's- uh, is it fun so on Disney-
0: Oh, no, they took down the crater, not Strange World. Oh, yeah, crater. They down also Strange World Also, not yet. that
1: movie. We talked about that on the show. Uh, so, no, all right, so that. my question. So, Elemental, I think the problem with it in some parts is that it's setting up a world which there's a lot of rules and there's a lot of things to explain about earth, earth people and the fire people and the water people and the air people. And here's the city and the city is there and the fire people live here and they all ride a train. And like, there's a lot of just business to get done with before the story can happen. And this is something that happens in a lot of Pixar movies. I'm realizing like they, you know, you get inside out and you're working about how all the emotions work. This is the cars
2: problem. Like where are the humans? Why do they, why do the cars do this?
1: Yeah. But like, I, I, that part doesn't bother me like this is a world in which humans don't exist and that's fine but it made me think about like ratatouille and wally and up which don't have the opening 10 15 minutes of like here's this place where we are and my question to you dave is a why do all the pixar movies have all of that busyness and is my grand unified theory that the better ones don't have all that chaos going on to explain to you how the world work does that I, does that track for you
0: i think they all have that Thing. The question is, how well can they make it actually about character and the movie yeah. everybody's in? I The elemental really clicks for me about like halfway through once I realize, and it takes that long, once I realize what we're doing. Uh, because where, the they world, are,
1: where they decide they're solving the water problem or like after that?
0: No, no, like after that, once I realize it's basically about an immigrant dating a white guy and realizing sure. she may not be okay with it. Like, yeah. once we click into what the the movie's actually about, I really liked Elemental, and I really like where it ends up uh, at the end of the movie um, by sort of drilling down on these characters who seem very simple because they need to fit into a story world that is... This one, I think the reason it didn't work for you, Katie, is it's based entirely on design. There is mm-hmm. some great... Uh, elemental simulations here that have been made into cartooning characterized by different design choices pixar made i think it looks really good it's pulling off some fantastic the lighting characters
1: look really good i don't know that much there's not that much interesting surrounding them
0: i mean that's again becomes part of the problem with the world building because you tell me that like fire can't touch water but then i watch her like sort papers you know and i'm like why is the paper not <laughs> getting on fire or when they're talking about trying to find a leak very early on because the water guy comes out of the pipe in the fire girl's family's basement, I'm like, are we talking about a political leak? Or are we talking about an actual <laughs> leak? Uh, is this a water wow. person who's betraying the government? Because I thought it was going to a-
1: be a Chinatown plot for a while where they're trying to figure out who is stealing all the water. Yeah, yeah, or
0: like it was like Chinatown Zootopia. I was like looking yeah. something like maybe it was going to be more like that, uh, but it's not. And but as soon as it, you know doubles down on what it actually is which is the water guy who's in love with the fire lady and the fire ladies doesn't want to disappoint her family by saying she's in love with the water guy i get it and i really enjoyed that movie part like once she's going to meet his family and whatnot i dig what's happening water
1: family in the high-rise apartment building where with Catherine o'hara yeah who's like you (laughs) you, you
0: speak english so well Uh, it's just like all of that i really dug i liked the look but um, I I see why it's a problem because the marketing didn't really go beyond what if fire and water fell in love, which yeah doesn't actually happen because they're all, they're missing each other all the time.
1: Well, and like a straight up love story, like I guess Wally is in some ways a love story, and like there's elements of that and up. But like that's just a weird structure to hang a Pixar movie. I think like you want kind of like the goofy side characters. Like there's not a lot of humor in this movie at all. Weirdly. Yeah. Um, And like the kids have been getting McDonald's toys with characters and then like looking at the nubbing like I don't remember the character in this movie because it's so much about those two and there's like a sweetness to that relationship but like that's not a lot for like creating this huge busy world
2: not toyetic enough is that the, is that the issue here i, I like, mean
1: they've made the toys but like there's just not a lot of like memorable characters they build around it because right. it's really about like this guy falling in love with like the fire girl yeah and you, guy's you notice gonna, we're not
0: g- using character names because i can't remember them <laughs>
1: uh ember is the girl <laughs> and okay, wade that's nice. is the boy and he's kind oh. of like not to like just start up on he's kind of a drip right like he's <laughs> just like a nice boy wants to Wait, love that was not fire a fire girl. I mean, it kind I, of
3: that's a good pun. Can I ask yeah. you guys a big picture question about Pixar? Sure. Uh, kind of an obvious one, but do you Are think they, they can put the toothpaste back in the tube after conditioning families to keep, see new product at home?
0: Keep this one off Disney Plus until December and keep it in theaters and it'll do just fine. Do you, like th- it's you think there's any
3: chance of that happening?
0: It's surpassed Lightyear already, so like this no, is do a Do you rebound. think that there's,
3: there's a chance of them actually keeping it off Disney Plus?
0: I mean, I think if it's going to make money in theaters, I think if Disney judges that what's happening right now is uh, another children's movie gap, like nothing's there to replace Mario. Kids are still out on summer break. This is the fucking hottest summer we've had in like globally, apparently, like tens of thousands Never. of years. Yeah, yes, climate uh, uh, change
2: good apparently... for the movies? Is that what we're saying here? <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> I mean, I don't know uh,
0: that what I've been apparently
3: li- it is huge in Korea.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean what okay. I, I'm looking like it was number two at the box office for four weekends in a row. Maybe this. Yeah, it keeps weeks.
3: making like
2: ten to nineteen million dollars. Yeah,
1: every that's week. that's really Which good.
2: Some money.
0: Yeah, I will say Are we so saw. Diana trailer. Jones
3: would kill for what Elemental's got.
0: I think we I saw... think Pixar movies can come back because they're going to eventize them again with like another Toy Story and these ideas that I don't endorse. But I think Pixar hurt the most from. We're eventually going to be able to be streaming because you're going to want to take your kids to the theaters and watch a movie that you know you don't hate and the kids don't hate. And that was initially Pixar's whole like bread and butter. It's like we're not Shrek. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't you love the fact that you know everybody could enjoy this movie? I we're think classy. Elemental's
2: there. It's just not great. Do you think? Do you think the success of Mario hurts Pixar? I've been dwelling. I was going to say it.
1: I was just going to argue it helps it. I think Mario being an event movie that like. Every kid in Charlie's first grade class went to see Mario. Like the, it, re- by, it reteaches people to go to the movies for uh, kids' movies again.
2: Yes, but it teaches them to go for the thing that they play at home, and that they're like it's IP. It is the most dumbest IP cash grab of the year, uh, and it and it really really worked. And I wonder if animated movies need to be this dumb and this. Like, you know, they need to have a Mario. They need to have a big character that Pixar doesn't have. Like, original characters cannot stand up to Mario. Uh, I mean, mm.
1: El- again, Elemental has made 113 million so far. Like, it's Mario don't has don't made know. billions yeah, of no, dollars. Mario is enormous. Like, I'm not going to argue that it's Mario size. Everyone but... saw Mario. Yeah, yeah. everyone saw again, Mario. This but, is I don't the- know.
0: Pixar doesn't have that tool in its tool chest. So, I don't really think, like, it's more about. The landscape of children's movies. I think it is about Pixar because Pixar isn't going to go by. But do you think I Pixar don't...
2: would make a Marvel movie now that Spider Verse is killing it and Mario is huge and that original Pixar stuff isn't working? Do you think they'll have to make a
0: Marvel? No, I, I don't, mean, don't think. Big Hero Six. Yeah, really I don't think Big Hero Six was a big enough difference for them to try something like that again. Uh, in terms of letting Marvel animated go beyond its thing, and also Marvel Animation created its own studio, so uh, it would be yeah, weird to lay those people off and true. then go to Pixar. Uh, but it's like, uh, would I want to see a Pixar, you know, like episode of What If season two? Sure. I don't think uh, the movie is the place because I still think what little luster Pixar still has is, with the exception of maybe Lightyear. And have you seen a- trailers for the new pixar movie like elie what is it elio elio it's about elio. a kid
2: who meets aliens he becomes yeah, that sounds the ambassador great. to earth great are you can gonna, That's kids the type you gonna of see stories that one katie like do they love aliens we did not
1: wait no we did see this one but we, we saw a trailer for that maybe before mario i we didn't see it today before um uh, elemental yeah, they've been yeah. Aliens. We saw a trailer for Haunted Mansion, which Charlie says he wants to go see. So uh, stay Ooh, tuned. God, give me a couple weeks. You. Yeah, we'll check in with you from beyond <laughs> the grave
2: through seance after that. Good
1: Lakeith luck. Stanfield being the star of a Haunted Mansion movie is so strange. I cannot really get over it.
0: But yeah, Elemental. It's in theaters. Hopefully they keep it in theaters for a long period of time. I've been very happy that they seem to be pushing the minimum... Uh, or the maximum window, theatrical window for Disney Plus. Uh, yeah, because Guardians of the Galaxy three made enough money, it is not yet on Disney Plus. So that one seems to be a wait and see. I hope Elemental's a wait and see. Give Elemental some legs. Uh, yeah, it'll, it's 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 a good it's a good theatrical movie for the family. Uh, that doesn't have horrible death defying stunts.
1: Meanwhile, we own Super Mario. Paid thirty bucks for it. <laughs> down to I think under a dollar review at this point. So. Thanks, Universal.
2: okay to wrap up tonight we're gonna dig in to a movie that is out in theaters now and would never come anywhere else but theaters it's called mission impossible dead reckoning part one yep. of two uh click for more yeah this is this is the long-awaited sequel to uh or the latest installment of the mission Impossible franchise from from tom cruise and I guess he's the go-to guy, the, the keeper of this franchise, Christopher Macquarie. He's in charge. He has been since Rogue Nation, although I guess he did punch-ups on Ghost Protocol, and that went pretty well. Uh, you know, They started their working relationship with Jack Reacher, I want to say, um, and that rounded, gritty little movie made Macquarie the right guy to, to punch up Ghost Protocol and then take over with Rogue Nation and then kind of step up the game with Fallout, a movie we definitely talked about on this podcast, and uh, I, I feel like is in high regard in this room? Am I correct? Like, I know David absolutely adores Fallout. Dave, Katie, do you have any recollection of your thoughts on Fallout? It's kind of the pinnacle for many people of the MI movies.
3: Of the experience it's, of being alive? Yeah. It's,
2: it's <laughs> def- it is movies!
0: <laughs> it's definitely the pinnacle of the latter half of the Mission Impossible franchise uh, it's always still sort of it's always wrestling with one for me because one was just sort I of like it took a TV show and really went sort of weird with it and I, I really enjoyed it no one's ever going to beat your first Ethan Hunt goes rogue movie toast, uh, but, toast. I, yeah. but I do think Fallout would be uh, if not number one number two uh, in my ranking
2: I was kind of digging through old marketing materials for Fallout and Paramount was selling it as the greatest stunt movie of all time in cinema history, Um, which is audacious, but probably close to true. They do some pretty big, big, big stunts here. And so going into this new movie, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which comes years after it was supposed to after. Tom Cruise announced shortly after Fallout that they were not going to make one, but two Mission Impossible sequels filmed back-to-back. Then we had a global pandemic. You guys hear about mm. this? It kind mm-hmm. of ruined the plans a bit, but uh, eventually, they got around to, to shooting this movie. Tom Cruise yelled at people on set at some point to be like, guys, we gotta make the movies! This is the Carry us to come back with the movies! Um, and they And they finished it, and what and in that time, Tom made. Cruise
1: became the great savior of cinema, which really yeah, Tom, uh, could not have worked out better for them. He
2: demanded <laughs> Maverick come out in theaters. He was right, made billions of dollars. And now and you know what's funny about that, too, Katie, the, they really started promoting this movie six months ago, which is almost unheard of at this point. Like all these movies get promoted within weeks of their release because just no one can get hype anymore. A far cry from when we were all starting out in this movie biz a decade plus ago when you would just like (laughs) comic-con nonsense um and now you can only i was talking to a publicist at a studio recently they're just like yeah we can't really publicize or market anything beyond a month whereas bragging oh yes i'm connected um (laughs) dead reckoning part one putting out videos of tom cruise jumping off cliffs But it's it's not just that
3: they were putting out videos, it's that they were doing what they were doing is so counterintuitive to how every other movie in the IP era is marketed, which is that they were going like full, not spoilers, but like, look at what happens in the movie, Mm -hmm. and here's how we did it. And that, I think, in addition to Fallout so obviously being a masterpiece and clearly having people stoked for the next one, um, you know, I think the Tom Cruise productions, and this is literally the first title you see in the movie, is the Tom Cruise production. Um, are so refreshing and, and so revealing to what is flimsy and artificial about this era of movie going, and that plays into the plot of Vision Impossible. It definitely does. And yeah. Reckoning Part One in very literal ways. But um, yeah, I mean, it all feels like a one of a kind, uh, something throwback, like a throwback that is also paving the way forward in a way that you know, no one else besides Tom Cruise may be able to follow. But um, yeah, I mean, it is a very different beast. Uh, well, that, and and, that's uh, really and deeply song... embarrassing to everyone else making this kind of movie.
2: <laughs> that is definitely <laughs> true. I mean, well, let's get into it. I, the long lead up here is really to set the stakes because Fallout was so was so big and really hit with fans of the series and critics. It was it was lauded. I went in this movie just being like, "What? How do they top themselves? How does McQuarrie do this yet again?" And then set it up for a part two without feeling exhausting. Top the stunts. There's so much on the line it felt like with dead reckoning part one i'm curious how it all washed over for you when we've been talking about the stunts for six months seeing how they did it they really rode the maverick oscar campaign straight into
3: teeing Absolutely up the did. hype here
2: um and and tom cruise is the golden star he he can save movies will he do it again with dead wreck that's so much pressure for a movie but what did you where does this land for you? Are you a fan of the Mission Impossible movies? Are you not? Is this, is this gold? Is this flying, uh, I don't know, under expectations? Where, what do you guys think of Dead Reckoning Part Uno?
0: Call, call on somebody. Okay, Katie, what do you think?
1: I haven't seen it yet.
0: Okay. I'm going to go with you in a
1: week, I hope. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm mean, i going to try to save movies by buying
3: a okay, ticket. Okay. Katie, what do you think? Oh, shit, I <laughs> haven't seen it, right?
2: Okay, David, you, you flipped out. You like this movie.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I, my expectations have been tempered. (laughs) I I mean, Fallout, Fallout is, is, you know, virtually impossible for a Mission Impossible movie to top. I know that doing impossible things is sort of Ethan Hunt's whole bag, Mm -hmm. but, uh, even that may be a, a too high a bar to clear. And my expectations have been tempered a bit going into this, uh, because some friends of mine had seen it early and told me some very concerning things. And I also knew that this franchise kind of prides itself, even now in the era of sticking with one director, of changing lanes from film to film and and tones, and not kind of repeating. And the, and Fallout was such a go for broke action extravaganza that was a lot closer to the the pacing of something like Fury Road than it was any of the other Mission Impossible movies, and that's what clicked with me. And so I was worried that a return to a different kind of Mission Impossible mode may not work. Um, and I would be lying if I said I this worked for me as well as Fallout, but it did work for me extremely, extremely well. Um, particularly the longer I sat with it, which isn't to say that it is isn't insanely entertaining. Particularly, I mentioned this in my review that uh, one of the, the underrated aspects about seeing a movie in the theater, something that your four thousand dollar Apple, um, you know, VR headset is never going to be able to mimic, um, <laughs> is sound. Seeing this in a Dolby equipped theater was like fucking you know i think we saw this in the l- same larping. screen yeah day. we did
2: our, our our seats were trembling and we were not watching yeah. it in 4dx our
3: but my seat no, was but rumbling it was awesome it was awesome uh, it was, same thing I mean, happened to me i was didn't... in a
0: different theater but with dolby sound okay, so yeah you so could no, feel, you were, you were just, just
3: feeling the aftershocks right. of our screen <laughs> from 2500 miles away it was that fucking sick uh and it was It was great. Um, Totally transportive and involving. This is a... There's more story in the first 10 minutes of this movie than there is in all of Fallout. Um, And the the Mission Impossible franchise, you know, R.I.P. Philip Seymour Hoffman continues to suffer big time with a a villain problem. Um, But the human villain is really the problem here. Um, The main villain, or antagonist anyway, is an A.I. uh, Tom Cruise's mortal enemy in recent years. The entity. um, He gets to... gets to shit talk algorithms for two and a half hours um, and uh, remind you of the power of the human element in more ways than one. Um, And it's, man, I mean, like, I really sort of got off on the meta narrative that it was telling on that end um, because it's so beautifully dovetails with Tom Cruise's whole mission in the last, you know, five, six years or so. Um, And there isn't as much action as, there isn't Fallout, or as I even would have liked, but the action that is here, the set pieces are just like so many miles above what you get in any other movie. The side of Mission Impossible Fallout that it's like barely worth talking. I mean, like the the car chase sequence in Rome is transcendent. I mean, seeing a, the fucking yellow little, not even a punch buggy, whatever it is, a fiat. going down the Spanish steps, the Fiat is incredible. The train sequence at the end, uh, which. Piggybacks off of the what Paramount Marketing would call the greatest stunt in the <laughs> industry is <laughs> sensational and doesn't have to go a million miles an hour to be like at the edge cool. of your seat, full body involving. Um, and even that sequence they shoot in the beginning in the airport, where they shot it in again one of these things that can't be faked, um, and that they can pull off with like the the massive cachet that Tom Cruise has is the swagger not, you know, staring government officials in the face with that Tom Cruise intensity and not taking no for an answer. I mean, I fucking give him anything. That's why he scares me so much. But they shot this sprawling airport sequence in the first act in what is the world's biggest airport terminal, but it had not opened yet um, at the time of production. So they had full reign or free reign over it and they make excellent use of it. And, like, all these sequences are just so confident. Like, the confidence just reeks off of the filmmaking. they why... so fun...
2: You know why it's it's the confidence reeks off it uh, because they do, they are making a pivot with this movie and Dave I want you to chime in here in a second because uh, I've been talking a lot but Macquarie is still changing the game here I I think he knew he couldn't top the stunts and fallout so instead of trying to top them this movie is very funny and it has like dire consequences for like man versus machine and it feels very chilling in how Ethan Hunt cannot at least in part one truly solve the problem at hand with a with an ai taking over and you know undermining world order um that is scary but this movie is hysterical i would call i mentioned edge of tomorrow is probably one of my favorite tom cruise movies and i think this has so much in common with edge of Tomorrow. less
3: repetitive than edge of tomorrow i less think the, uh... but like the,
2: the goofs the goofs are there like you were describing the rome car chase scene in it's, the CIA yeah, it's, it's not just funny. that they're having an amazing car chase. It's not like John Wick where like, oh, you really went there? Or you really shot that here? No, it, um, it, it is and that the slamming in the walls. It's that he The freshness? The, was,
3: yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't take any pleasure in shitting on John Wick because I so admire everything that that franchise stands for, but there's been real diminishing returns, especially since John Wick Chapter 2 for me, because I don't think they can break out of the paradigm of stunts that they've created, and all the fights feel very numbing and samey. And this... You know, by contrast, shows how within the parameters of a franchise and certain characters, you can find such invigoratingly fresh ways of having them get into action um, and having them express character through action. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, so much of what they're saying about AI and the human element dovetails really nicely with, you know, what plot there is about Ethan Hunt's uh, cohorts and how his vulnerabilities have always been. And Dave is going to complain about, you know, the women being fridged in this. But this is about a a franchise is dedicated (laughs) to women being fridged. Don't put words in his mouth. That doesn't doesn't
0: make me feel better about the point. He he literally
3: tweeted a picture of a fridge earlier in relation to uh, Mission Impossible. Like four fridges. uh, Maybe it was was a picture. As many fridges, almost as many fridges as there are in the Mission Impossible franchise if we all think back to really all of them, but especially you know, like Carrie Russell's death in Mission Impossible three, and then you know, the stakes that then become the norm for every subsequent Mission Impossible movie about the string of dead women that Ethan Hunt leaves and in I'm his glad way. Michelle monaghan
0: got out before this mess. So that's well, all I'm gonna say. You know, she
3: gets a three, but like, you know, you know, uh, I, I, you can take issue with how some of the I, I, Ethan Hunt's relationships with the women in his life are handled in this movie. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with those, but um You're unloading I think all overall, these let, let,
2: let Dave check what they're doing. You've already put is, words in his uh, mouth and you well uh, done.
3: I wanted to, I, I have translated his images. I into swear words. I wanted I have to not put I launched the comedy of <laughs> this movie. I
2: was making a point before I got hijacked, see the uh tidbit. Um mm. I j I, I do want to say before Dave you do jump in that my point about the fiat chase, it's just it's not just car chases, it's not just stunts, it's circus performing. It's Tom Cruise is going to be handcuffed to Haley Atwell, and they're going to have to figure out how to drive the car, and they're slamming into things. Or it's not just Tom Cruise jumping off a cliff; it's a camera that they somehow stuck onto his face, so I can see his flapping cheeks in the wind. <laughs> that he—this is the anti-vanity project that you would think would be the ultimate vanity project for for Cruise. And it reminds me in that way so much of Edge of Tomorrow. He's allowing his his reputation to be crushed. His his—I
3: would uh, say there's action. some vanity. Mother, to I mean, the fact that he keeps saving the world or trying to play yeah, I but, but extra extra- one of his, one his <laughs> glorious
2: moments is accidentally <clears throat> crashing through the side of a train and looking like a bumbling yes. fool. It's amazing. But
3: there is a, a, a savior complex that is very much on display in these movies that reflects, you know, the reality of what he is doing for or trying to do for the film business. Um, and the problem with the savior complex and the problem with being in a position where really there is only one person who can do certain things. Is that there's really only one person who can do certain things? And it's, you know, there may not be another Tom Cruise waiting in the wings who can stand on the shoulders of uh, this not so tall giant. but Dave, Dave what tell David
0: be? why' he's, Dave, Tell David why he's wrong? This is a solid b minus movie. All the actions great. Haley Atwell's great. Everything oh. that's caulking in between right. those things is uh, the the worst part of uh, Matrix resurrections. You get a Merovingian. Uh, uh, entity throws itself its own rave is smashed down so in funny the middle though. of this movie that's what
3: Patch is talking about it's so funny the AI throws itself a uh, Venice Midnight Gala <laughs> Your mean <hate laughs> i right here
0: I, yeah, I'm glad that worked for you guys I guess I've seen Westworld <laughs> too many times that's not my favorite
2: that was not my
0: favorite there's, seeing Westworld is a character this is, no, this is
3: nothing even this is not even remotely resembling a spoiler but there's a moment where someone comes up to Tom Cruise at this masked gala and they're like, sir, you have to come over here. And like, it's basically just uh, like a Pavlovian response in my head to like, dun, 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 dun. dun. <laughs> they're going to bring him in front of the fucking orgy master. It's going to be a computer. It's great.
0: <laughs>
1: um, Second time uh, singing Eyes Wide Shut this episode. Yeah. yeah and I,
0: I think that, yeah, no, it's a banner episode where. The action scenes are good, Um, and I think what, from what I can detect, it's just the connected material is disjointed because of the way they make these movies, combined with all the COVID restrictions that had to happen. Uh, After about, after the airport sequence, Ving Rhames is maybe in two other scenes with actual other people uh and then the cutting around him is always very weird right after the airport sequence how that sequence ends is tom cruise runs along a roof for 20 seconds which is great but all you have to show me is he gets on the roof i know he's escaped like that's just tom cruise running for him tom cruise gotta run okay maybe it's a little bit of a vanity project and i mean like those things are fine except the movie is two hours and 43 minutes and it's a part one and it's a MacGuffin chase of two things you need to put together, which I already spent several hours in Fast X and Transformers Rise of the Beasts on these sort of fucking MacGuffin chases. So really wow me. And I think the, the jump stunt that becomes a parachute stunt to get on the train. That's pretty good. Fight on top of the train. Wish I cared about that villain, but I know nothing about him other yeah, than that, he's... No, still- he sucks.
2: He's just he the sucks. guy who works for the
3: computer. Uh, well, and he, the, he fridged a woman the in the past.
2: Okay. An unnamed woman. <laughs> he did
3: the original fridging. He did the original he put fridging we're in told. the back of the fridge way back yeah. when. Yeah, Katie, they yeah.
2: retconned a the past for Ethan Hunt. In this You're movie. asking me he, to he,
1: remember the plots of previous Mission Impossible movies, which I'm not going to do. And I'm, I will be fine uh, with well, it. Really? The whatever they present no, to me. Not, not. I will be fine the with The way. problem
3: with this, though, is that they they do all this table setting, <laughs> even these like smoky stutter step flashbacks about whatever the fuck happened between uh, these two characters and they don't get into it at all it's all saved for the next movie um and it just you know it feels like a flashing you know warning sign of how lame this villain is for the intensive purposes of this movie um not that we needed the reminder
0: david was but. talking about how tom cruise saving the world from ai is the meta narrative that's not the meta narrative tom cruise says the movies is the plot of this movie When they try to hang little serious Mission Impossible World ornaments on it, it becomes a whole bunch of fucking nonsense. Just, like, complete nonsense. Uh, There's a couple of uh, weird characters uh, seemingly turning sides or revealing themselves as a villain, uh, most of which don't hit because I don't know why they were on the first side in the first place anyway. (laughs) Is this AI paying people? Like, we don't know... Because that's either safe for a second movie or we're not supposed to think about it. It's just supposed to be struggling. I got the, the impression
2: that the AI, that it's a bit of a Miss um, Davis. No, not Miss Davis. What was the Peacock show?
1: Miss Davis. Miss yeah. Davis. Okay.
2: It's a bit of a Miss Davis situation where Gabriel, the the villain of this movie, is like the acolyte of the AI that people are kind of worshiping. AI? Mm-hmm. like that they well, yeah. they're trying to get in bed with this thing that will destroy humanity right and they want to be alive well, that's
0: the th- that's the thing if they included something like why the villains were doing it then i'd be able to answer your question but it isn't so it's just like this ai is going to kill everybody <laughs> here are some people who are fine with that and i'm like great cool uh, you know, Asian silent female assassin. I've never
3: seen one of those before. Yeah, I it's if a little it's trophy, be but it's it's more than a little trophy, but Pom Clementoff is also... She is so having a cool yeah, great in time. In she's, she's having it. a great time. I'm willing to forgive it.
2: Oh, I love I mean, her in the chase scene, just going I'm, ballistic.
3: I'm willing to forgive all of
0: this. I'm just saying that's why this is a B-minus movie. This is a movie that I'm going to watch Hey, you're a B-minus
3: movie, all right? Watch it.
0: I mean, I... <sighs> Well, I don't know how to respond it's to B- that. The movie, movie, the prequel <laughs> B+ to B movie.
3: <laughs>
0: it's a, okay, so we are arguing over the difference between eighty <laughs> percent and eighty-nine percent. There, there
3: is an ocean of difference between a B minus and a B plus. Um, <laughs> uh, fair, uh,
0: fair enough. I just, I, I see people, you know, I've seen reviews, uh, really giving this movie a lot of slack, that it to the point where it just like didn't click for me and I had to back channel conversations with other people being like, is it me? Am I going to come out on the wrong side of this? What,
3: were Dave, you I afraid have, that have, the I entity have... was reading your, your texts? You had to go on WhatsApp so they were fully encrypted? You, probably.
2: I want to I be clear, Dave. I'm a little with you here. I think the movie is really long and has a lot of talking about things that are not consequential there, and not terribly dramatic. It's 45 solid
3: minutes of people saying the entity. Mm-hmm.
2: Every. It happens yeah. a lot. <laughs> If I were drinking every time they said it, maybe I would have had a better time with the the middle (laughs) section of this movie, but yeah, this is is not a dramatic film. I I am unnerved, as I mentioned, by the prospect of the entity being impossible to kill. Um, Unfortunately, as you mentioned, Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg kind of running on empty at this point. They get some adrenaline moments in that airport scene that we talked about, but they are not, the team that they were in MI3, Ghost Protocol, Rogue. Yeah, mission. but you need like, We're missing need the team crews
3: to care if they get killed and they Do we care? Yeah, okay, I don't care. Rebecca Ferguson has taken over this mantle. I, 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 I don't care. I care more about Rebecca Ferguson certainly than I do about either she is the, wonderful. like the male sidekicks, but I I believe that Ethan Hunt cares. Um, and that it would be enough of a conflict, you know, when the trolley problem inevitably inevitably presents itself and he has to decide between saving his friends, and saving the world, as he always does, that it is going to be a dilemma for someone even as calculated as him. That and so they, they serve that function.
0: Well, at some point he's like to a character, he says, Your life is more important than my life, and the character says back to it, but you don't even know me and he says, Why should that matter? And I'm like, Why are we having this conversation? I believed you because the action was making me believe you every time you sit down and you explain to me why you're about to do something or why you did something. This movie just doesn't seem to care about it, which is fine. Just don't slow down. Like that's what we learned with fallout. If you don't, if you don't, if you have little gaps, you need to jump over. Just have Henry Cavill reload his arms (laughs) and I'll be like, yeah, cool, buddy. Let's do this. This movie slows down too often considering the highs that it's capable of reaching. and then doesn't, and then does it end? Which is just like, why, why did I do that to myself? At least Fax X was bad and didn't end. This is like right on the line it doesn't end.
3: I definitely don't disagree with that, except to say that pretty early on in this movie, I sort of achieved a high that carried me over anything. I was just so happy at Everything that was happening. It's so in the groove of the movie. I do like Tom Cruise
0: close up magic, and I do like most of the airport stuff just for existing. And it seems like everybody's having fun. But I'm also with patches. After that, it seems like people are having less fun with it. And I understand the characters are having less oh, fun I with did. it because things get more and more dire. You know who has but... a great
2: time in this movie? Shale Wingham, who seems like a oh, burned-out yeah. NYPD detective, but somehow he's a globetronic oh, well, IMF hunter. Like, some
3: of the, I love this the trope. best Some of the best are we the baddies. Uh, yes. <laughs> side, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern side characters we've gotten in an action movie in a while. Yeah, um, it's,
0: it's a weird movie to have those characters and then also have uh, Kittredge and... I don't
2: I don't it sounds like you don't care for the like nods to the Mission Impossible franchise of uh, the past
0: I like I like that performance and I like that character and I feel like that character was established in the first movie so that's one of the people that like when he was on screen I'm like I know what I'm getting at here like you're never gonna know what side he's on you're gonna suspect him of being the mole but just because he's an asshole and one of I, I think, the good parts of the humor of this movie is that when he tries to explain the impossible mission force and how and everybody's just like, that's, that's dumb. I was like, yes, it is! Why are you stopping to tell me it's dumb? It's another time where I'm like, this movie doesn't need to stop. It has a great visual of America trying to back up all of its files into hard copy, and I get the thread of that, but then it sort of goes a little bit too deep into it, Uh, For me, but like, again, I didn't dislike this movie. It's just baffling to me that some people are coming out and saying it's like fantastic. Tom Cruise has saved movies again. It's like I could uh, maybe it's because this isn't like the movie I'm seeing in theaters, but there's so many things in this movie where it's like it's the greatest version of this. But I've also seen this very recently, this trope (laughs) being deployed and so, like, they do a car chase in Rome, just like Fast X, except this one, oh you God. know, because wow, that's practical. Really <laughs> wow. for that's really like,
3: That's like being, like, uh, fucking, you know, Citizen Kane and, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, God, like, I'm trying yeah, to think yeah, of, yeah, like, yeah. what was, like, the worst Melissa McCarthy movie for the last, like, ten years? I don't know why that came to mind. Probably because she's in all of those What's the really Bayton, catchy is... travel commercials.
1: What about, um, Run. Uh, the one with the bird? <laughs> Um,
3: yeah, the one, it's like saying Citizen Kane and the Melissa McCarthy movie with the bird are both movies, and the so bird? you know,
1: <laughs> the one that Ta- is it It's a bird? No, this is called like the spare, the starling.
2: The starling. Mm. That's not even the comedy. Is that isn't that like a
1: serious? Uh, yeah, this McCarthy is one where Mar- she plays like a woman who just lost a child, but it's directed by the guy who directed St. Vincent. Oh, right. This is a real tangent.
0: Okay, anyway, anyway. this is why it's going to make a bunch of money is because it's a fairly you good movie that has all these. Pe- oh yeah, I think so. I mean, unless Oppenheimer for some, like, unless it's so dependent on upscale formats that Oppenheimer bumps it down, but like yeah, I, I think if people if, like, are going to come, come out. People they came out for money. Maverick, most people are just going to be like, he's doing the Maverick again, and they will come out for this. He's doing, coming off of Fallout <clears throat> from the franchise, and then coming off of Ma- Maverick for the Star, this one they is made basically more like a money must say. on
3: its Tuesday night previews than the Starling made in its entire theatrical run. Like that's, yeah. it was like a run. I don't So really maybe know what that is.
0: maybe you, listener, don't have mush brain and you're not like we're back on the Indiana Jones train track watching a cutscene from Uncharted 2 at the end of this movie. Maybe you don't have that type of pop culture mush brain. If you do have that type of pop culture mush brain, I just don't think there's enough in Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 for me to be like, yeah, I mean, this is the one. Uh, even and-
3: even pejoratively mentioning Indiana Jones, the Dial of Destiny, in the same sentence as Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part <laughs> One, should be enough to get you thrown in prison for seven to ten years. Dave
0: liked that movie. I did like that movie. It's very obvious that David didn't listen to the podcast and no. Matt patches and I bullshitting, uh, but that's no. fine. Uh, it would make I only you very come mad, for David. Yeah, that, that's... Speaking of which, Katie, what did insane. you
2: think of Dead Reckoning Part
1: 1? Uh, you know, I thought that this, the part where the fire lady and the water guy fell in love really yeah. yeah, is was, was yeah. moving.
3: I will say, if this is the best of the big three of the movies that are coming out over the next two weeks, I will be disappointed. Um, but just to put my, my feelings about it in perspective, but it was, you know, the, the jolt of adrenaline that kind of uniquely blockbuster great score i hadn't I, I, oh lauren ball, I thought I mean, lauren ball the, killed it this thing time. i mean i don't know i think there's nothing there's nothing there's a lot it's of drum. very good you know it's very very good at being a mission impossible score it's not like transcendent or anything yeah. there's not like the piano aria that okay. michael giuchino okay. yeah. i, I didn't really end. like the opening um,
0: i was psyched when it was like uh, i'm like oh yeah the opening and the, like it was it was pretty pretty badass this time had, around like the first five minutes it was you know uh, and some middle minutes if,
3: movie. See it in Dolby. You will not, you will feel like it was a good use of your evening.
0: That I agree with. As somebody who saw uh, Rise of Skywalker and 4DX just to be like, whatever the fuck. Yeah. See it in Dolby. Your seat will move. I was afraid that they was going to shake ceiling tiles down on me at certain parts of this movie. What a good way to go. Yeah.
2: Katie, are you going to see it
0: again?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Honestly, I was gonna ask you guys. I was thinking about. We all know Charlie and his movie-going habits. So, like, I was thinking about just gonna take him with me. What? He the doesn't want to see it the most. What the Is that But I, will I damage uh, my child?
3: I think you'll make him scared of computers. I will say that I think all of Hollywood's various strikes will only end when Tom Cruise realizes that they can't finish making Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part Two until they're resolved, and then in a matter of minutes, he will, with his death stare. Somehow, get away to make the streamers and studios capitulate. Are they not
1: finished? Uh, that it? is what I'm banking they, on. they no, shot it already, right?
3: No, oh. they shot, no, you're both wrong. They've shot about 50% of it, um, but there's still a way to go. I meant
2: they haven't started the second half. No. Mission what? Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 2, the second <laughs> half of Part 2. They haven't.
3: Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Part 2, Part 2. Part
2: 2, Part 2 coming soon. Hmm.
3: Part
2: 4.
1: That does it for this week's show. We'll be back next week. It looks like we'll be talking Oppenheimer uh, for an episode coming out basically opening weekend, which is not usually our thing. Although I guess we're doing it for Mission Impossible this week. So look at us getting ahead of the game. Do,
3: do, um, do, what do you think the love theme from Oppenheimer is going to sound like?
1: Uh, do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are.
3: I
2: am Matt Patches. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm on Blue Sky, folks. Mr. Patches. I'm on Letterboxd at Mr. Patches, and we're uh, we have fightingtheworm.com. We've probably reviewed uh, Ghost Protocol. We've been doing this long enough to have done Ghost Protocol, which is a stop. uh So go to fightingtheworm.com and listen to all of our old Mission Impossible covers. You should.
3: <coughs> Uh, I'm David Ehrlich. I'm sorry that I've been coughing intermittently throughout this episode. Blame my children. Um, you can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. I'm the writer by Movies for DWire, a critic. i reviewed Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, and Words. Lots of them. we will be doing the same for Oppenheimer next week, but not Barbie, even though I will be seeing that. Um, you can find all of us together, reading your words, in fact, on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Leave us a review. We'll read it live on the show. Please, I beg you, ask me to Wax Poetic about either Marvel Snap or any of the non-Real Housewives or cooking-related Bravo reality shows. Um, I can't do it on my own, but like a vampire entering a house, if you invite me, I can. So, let's make it happen.
0: I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA70. You can follow me on Blue Sky at DA70. You can follow me on Instagram and Threads as grumpy da7e because that's how metal products make me feel you could email all of us at fitwr.podcast at gmail.com and if you want to know about the marvel cinematic universe this october 10th you could pre-order the book i did with joanna robinson and gavin edwards at themcubook.com
1: uh i'm katie rich i had to go look up my uh threads in blue sky names because i didn't remember what they were but I have joined both of them. Uh, I am at Katie Rich Talking on threads uh, because my Instagram account is linked to my private Instagram that I don't want to share with all of you people. Uh, and then on Blue Sky, it's at Katie Rich. I don't really know how to use them yet. Um, you can find me at Vanity Fair. <laughs> if you wanted to hear me talk about the Emmys, you can do that at Little Gold Men. Everyone decided there was nothing interesting to say about them on this podcast. You guys can be the judge of that. Uh, i did the twitter part already uh you can find us all on twitter only on twitter for now at fitwr where you can um talk to us about um how you have or have not seen mission impossible dead reckoning part one or just pretend you have which i maybe i should have done over the course of the show or you can answer this week's lightning round question which was
0: in honor of mission impossible dead reckoning part one what's your favorite tom cruise movie thanks for listening and we'll be back talking to you next week
1: No, I'm done. I'm done. We're done.